you to bring your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, as we continue our worship of you this morning, we do ask once again, as we always do, that, Father, as we spend time in your word, that you will bless our time in your word. We desire, Father, to be instructed by what your word says. Our desire, Father, is to have understanding of life, better understanding of ourselves. That, Father, we may understand the gospel of Christ in a much better way. That, Father, we may understand how the gospel affects every aspect of our life, of our living, what it brings to our life. We thank you, Father, for your great patience with us. We thank you, Father, again, for preserving your word that we may have it. And we thank you, Father, for your presence today. In Christ's name, amen. Ecclesiastes 8, verses 5 through 8 reads, Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although... Man's trouble lies heavy on him, for he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. Basically, what we're looking at is the ideas that are presented by Solomon here, which is that basically what he says is that if you follow the king's command, if you, if you are living right and you are living in obedience to the law and you're, you're wise in your heart, bad things aren't going to happen. Things are going to be pretty much okay. There's a proper time and a proper way to do things, a proper time and a way for everything. And, and if you live that way, he's saying it's good. But then he throws in there and says, although, so even though all that's true, although, Man's trouble, I guess we could phrase it this way, still lies very heavy on him. In other words, he continues to find that even though certain things should be a certain way, and there's the appearance they are, things are still wrong. Things aren't right. It's like it's, it's broken. What's wrong with this? Why is it this way? Why is man unable to escape the problems and the difficulties? And, of course, the way that he phrases it here is this heavy burden that weighs on the individual. In other words, it's something that you're, you're carrying around on a regular basis. There's, there's, there's no instant relief. It's something that you must carry on a regular basis. And we, we began to look at this in great detail several weeks ago. And as we did, we, I, I kind of relayed a story to you about a young man that was in Vietnam. And I won't re, redo the story but there was a phrase that the doctor used there because remember there was a time when the young man was begging for any kind of relief from this nausea that had just overwhelmed him. And he was just suffering miserably. And he was begging the nurses and they turned to the doctor and he said no. He said we can't do that. And we've kind of reworked what he said but basically what he said was this. You need your pain. You need your unhappy feelings. It is a message, and you must listen to that message. It will tell you what is wrong with you. 
And so what I wanted us to begin to look at was this approach to life that I believe is very biblical is that it's not that we want or that we embrace suffering. We don't want to see that happening to any individual, including ourselves. But our main goal in life should not always be that the moment something is painful or hurtful to find just relief from the pain itself. We should be trying to find out why is it happening. I mean, that's what you go to the doctor for normally. We don't go to the doctor just to find relief, though we do want that. What he wanted to do is to find out what's wrong with us. And we want him to fix that. We know that if he can fix that, eventually they'll take care of the pain. But we don't ever say to a doctor, I don't care what's wrong with me. I don't care if you never fix it. I just don't want to hurt. Now, there'll be times you may feel that way because the pain may be great. But we want whatever it is to be addressed and fixed. Well, when it comes to life, we should have the same approach to life. And we live in a time when that is not really always the case. In fact, it's rarely the case, especially when we are suffering from the, the burdens of living life. The stress that we experience. And we, we talked about um, a little bit about uh, depression and anxiety. That's a big, huge topic uh, that's, uh, that people have been talking about and have been writing books about and have been discussing for many years now. And we want to make sure that we have a good understanding of really what the Bible says about who we are as people and how we function. And then what is the cause of our distress and then how should that be addressed? Because the Bible has a lot to say about those things. What complicates things is that sometimes, and maybe it's often, we may end up settling, the one who's suffering, may end up settling for the story. Or maybe we might call it the meta-narrative. We, we use the word as Christians, meta-narrative, when we talk about understanding life. In other words, when we look at the world and we see all that's gone wrong in the world, for us, the meta-narrative or the big story is that God created everything good, but something bad happened, and that's what we are seeing. And the bad thing that happened was sin entered the world when Adam and Eve sinned. And that gives to us our understanding of why there is death and disease and suffering. That helps us to understand what's happening and what's going on. That, that, that's our explanation for what is taking place. So an individual may be experiencing depression, anxiety, a combination of both, um, what have you, and if they have settled on what it is that explains their pain, then they are very reluctant to change it or to challenge it. And usually it's, there's a lot of fear there. They're afraid that if whatever their understanding of what's going on, if that changes, they're afraid that whatever they're experiencing is going to be unleashed like an animal and it's going to destroy them. And there's a fear that's there. But I think we have to ask ourselves some questions. And that, again, what is going on? What's causing the growing feeling of distress that many people experience? Why are more people depressed and anxious than ever before? No matter how you define depression, the numbers are way up. It is in the millions of people. And it's becoming more and more accepted today in a sense that if an individual is suffering some kind of depression, we give allowances for that to uh, be the reason why they're unable to function, maybe unable to, to fulfill their responsibilities, maybe some of them, maybe all of them, but we allow that to take place, and I'm not sure we should be doing that. But 
If somebody challenges that, you're viewed as being unloving. You just don't understand. You're not being kind. You've never been depressed. You've never been really worried. And so if you had all those things, you wouldn't be saying that. And, and so we allow ourselves to function in a world where we're just dealing with very, in a sense, shallow things. Things that have very deep roots, but we're not going to the roots. We're not dealing with those things. So what I wanted to begin to address was what are some of these things that weigh heavily on man? What, what is this causing this to take place? And so the first thing that we began to look at is that when an individual is disconnected from meaningful work, that can be a cause of this growing distress, depression, anxiety. And we spent a little bit of time talking about work. We talked about the fact that what is it that makes work meaningful? And we, and we tried to differentiate the fact that today, many times, we'll talk about certain individuals. Usually people who are first responders, doctors, nurses, uh, teachers, those are individuals who we would all say, well, they have meaningful work because we can directly see how they help people. But not everybody does that. So are we saying their work isn't meaningful? Are we saying, well, I hope you can find something meaningful in what you do? And so if we keep focusing on the job itself as to, to give us meaning in life, there's a lot of individuals, that's why they're depressed. They're, you know, imagine an individual who has a job where they work maybe, because this still happens, even though maybe the world continues to change, but there are those who have jobs where it's, just, it's repetitious. There's no new thing to see. There's no new thing to do. What they do tomorrow is what they did two years ago. And what they're going to do two years from now is what they're going to do tomorrow. It just doesn't change. And so there's a monotonous, there's, there's, there's a mundaneness to it uh, that, that affects them. We also ask the question, does our work matter to God? Does, does our work uh, matter to him at all? And how does it matter to him? And so we spent some time looking at that. So as we were looking at that, and I don't want to go through all those things again, what, what we, one of the things that we covered was this, is that, number one, we need to make sure that our identity as Christians is uh, rooted in our relationship with God, not what we do. We're too often we're like the world, and this is not wrong to have these conversations, but when we meet someone for the first time, we normally ask them, what do you do? And it's not that we identify them by what they do, but that does give us a great deal of information about that individual. Uh, it doesn't give us all the details, but it's very helpful. So it's not bad to do that. But what we don't want to do is to somehow think that what we do, whatever our job is, that that is all that we are. We want our identity to be found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and so, that, so God has placed a calling on our life. And it's on our whole life. It's not just our work, but it's that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. So as we work our way through this, what we want to keep in mind is... Again, what the Bible says. Now, now, this is a little different because sometimes what happens, or maybe you know what happens, when we, when we look at the scripture to help us to understand what to think or, or how to think or how to live life, we look for, for those passages that deal with specific things. You know, what does the Bible say about marriage? And there's a great deal that the Bible says about marriage specifically. And when you read it, it's very clear. And so we look at the words and the phrases and the paragraph, and we look at, look at, at the illustrations that are, that are given and the teaching, and then we've, out of that we form our understanding of marriage and what marriage is to be and what marriage should not be. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there's other things when it comes uh, to where the, it, it takes a larger portion of Scripture to figure things out. And so when you, when you begin in Genesis 1 and work your way through the first uh, 10 chapters of Genesis... What we see are certain patterns. We see the way things are, the way God has uh, designed things. 
And so when it comes to work, is what we're dealing with primarily, is that in the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, when he put them in the garden, he gave them jobs. He gave them work to do. He gave them things, responsibilities, things that they were to accomplish. And so what we see then as you work your way through the Bible is that aspect of man's life is always a part of his life. Even until you get to the book of Proverbs where it begins to give you instruction about the character of the individual who doesn't want to work. Because it's always negative. The individual who doesn't want to work, whether he doesn't have a job, he doesn't want to work at home, he doesn't want to work in his yard, whatever it happens to be, you know, work in his vineyard, those types of things. And it talks very negatively about that. And then it talks about the individual who works hard. And how the individual who worked that means about the individual who works hard. And the good things about that individual's character and whatnot. So you see this continue to develop all the way through the scriptures. So from that then, we're going to glean some things that are going to help us to understand work and meaningful work. Because that's important. Because again, it comes back to the individual and what they are experiencing in their life. And so uh, one of the things we talked about also is that the job that you do now is where you're going to develop the fruit of the Spirit. We study the fruit of the Spirit in church. We understand what it is and what God's doing in our life. But where it's going to be shaped and formed is where we spend a majority of our time, and that's usually your home and work. And that's where it's going to be uh, formed in our life. And that's the way that God has designed it to be. And so that's what we have. one of the ways that we can alter the way we view work or view our job is that is the place that God has you now to form and bring out these things that he's producing in you. That's, that's, where, that's the place he wants you to um, uh, exercise those things that he's developing in you as a Christian. That's what he wants you to be. So it's not just where you have the fruit of the Spirit and you express that at church and you express the fruit of the Spirit at home. It's also where you express the fruit of the Spirit at work. And it continues to grow and mature as you continue to grow and mature. So again, when you're looking for meaningful work for your own sake, that's going to be pretty difficult. And uh, so we want, to, we want to look at that. So here, let me just kind of start with some questions first. Uh, questions that, that we can ask perhaps each other to help us to pray for each other and then lead us into our understanding then of what the scripture says. So if we want to better pray for each other and to encourage each other, we can ask questions. And you may already know this first, the answer to the first question with most of us. But that is, if you meet an individual here, you ask them, to tell you about the work they do. And then that leads to the next couple of phrases, or next couple of questions. And that would be number, number two then, is what are some of the issues that you face in your work? When we're asking that, we're asking that as a Christian. So as a Christian, what are some of the issues that you're facing at work? So it's not just are you having difficulty at work in the job itself, though you may discuss that, but in particular as a Christian, because we are, we are expected by God to behave and to live in a particular way, no matter where we are, and that includes work. So if we're going to pray for each other and be encouraging each other, and again, remember that work is a large part of our life, 40, 50, 60, 70 hours or more of our life is taken up with that. And so what we're asking that is not only how are things at work, but what we are also asking is, how do, how do you feel about your work? How do you feel about your job? We're asking those questions. You see, what happens is sometimes is when the individual is, let's say that an individual is depressed, and it is not uncommon now when an individual is asked, why are you feeling so depressed? They will say, I don't know. 
everything in my life is going pretty good. And what they mean by that normally is, well, I'm, I'm pretty healthy. My family's pretty healthy. I have a family. I have a job. I'm able to provide food and shelter. and what. So they go through all those things. And so they, for the life of them, can't figure out where this is coming from. But it always comes from someplace. It's not, depression is not something that's floating in the sky and then lands on you all of a sudden. There are reasons for it. And so we can help individuals discover what's going on. And so this may be that area. Let the, the Christian may be unaware or may not be thinking in the terms that my job is really not very fulfilling. And it's beginning, it's been weighing on me for all of these years. I never really noticed it because nothing really is going, there's nothing going wrong at work, but it's unfulfilling. And so I begin to wear out as I go to work day after day, week after week, and put up with the same things, the same people, or the same customers, or whatever it happens to be. And so I'm, 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 I'm not aware of it, but that's draining me of my energy, my vitality. And so for some people, it may be five years. For some people, it may be ten years. It may be uh, more or less, depending on the individual. But all of a sudden, that catches up to you. And now we're feeling depressed because there's no event or incident we can point to. We don't know where it comes from. Well, we need to begin to think about the totality of life. And if your job, if, if, you, if there's no meaning in your work, and again, I don't believe that it's limited to just what you do. You and I have a purpose. We're called by God to live life in a certain way. And whatever job you have now, even if you're looking for another job, until that other job comes up, where you are now is where God wants you to be, and he wants you to be and to live in a particular way there. Those people that you are meeting, you are not meeting by accident. Your coworkers, good and bad, the ones that get on your nerves and the ones that are helpful. God has purpose and arranged for you to meet them and to interact with them. It is God's plan and God's desire for you to influence those individuals. To influence them with the gospel for good or for bad. Remember that the, the scriptures tell us in Corinthians that for some who are being saved, when, when they hear the gospel, when they see the gospel live before them, it's like the sweet smell of perfume. But for others... It's the stench of death because it continues to condemn them in their sin. That may be why they don't like you so much. If you're, you know, they, they may not attribute it to your Christianity. They may just think, well, you're just a goody tissue or you're doing everything great. I just don't, they don't like that. They don't like you. And, and the reason why we're living out the gospel is we want to reveal to them the reality of who Christ is and that he makes a difference in our life. And this is what he produces. And so when, when I approach my job, whatever that job is, in that way, that job now becomes much more meaningful. I have a reason to be there. I have a purpose to be there. When I used to work at a long time ago, uh, there may have still been dinosaurs around. Uh, but when I, you know, I used to work at Pizza Hut, and I started as a cook, and I worked my way up to, uh, to being the manager of, of that place. And, you know, you're you're making pizza and sandwiches and spaghetti and serving people Coke and salads. And it's the same thing every day. You know, you, you got to prepare the food, then you got to make the food, then you got to clean up. And then it's just, it just it never ends. And then when people get paid, like the military get paid, the restaurant is just slammed full. And people have all kinds of attitudes. They have the attitudes of the customers, you have the attitudes of your employees, and all kinds of things. 
And so you just you can get in that grind where it's just like you're going and you're going and you're going. And by itself, that can be kind of meaningless. You're just feeding hungry people. And they're all not very grateful. You know, because they want to eat to send the pizza back. This isn't what I ordered. Well, you ordered a supreme. Yes, a supreme has sausage, pepperoni, green peppers, onions, and black olives. Well, I didn't want the black olives. Did you ask for us to not to put the black olives on? No. But I don't want them. I don't know who the clown was that said the customer was always right, but they're not always right, but you have to pretend they are. All right, so that can just kind of wear on you after a while. However, when you keep in mind that you are a Christian and you are there for a reason, and perhaps you're dealing with, most likely, not just perhaps, maybe it is this way. As you deal with that individual, your non-Christian fellow workers are watching how you handle that. And if you handle it just like they do, where you're real nice, and then you turn around and say, that person's a, you know, ah, they see no difference. You, you are undermining the credibility of the message of Christ. Because when you, when, if the day comes, because sometimes we just avoid that, but if the day comes that you share the gospel, they're hearing you share the gospel from someone who acts no different or maybe worse than they do. There's no credibility there. And we want there to be credibility. I think I told you before, when I, the very, when I, when I, was, when I made manager, they moved me to this restaurant that was very troubled. And uh, so I'm, I'm retraining everybody. So I got the cooks in the kitchen. And I'm showing them how we have to do sandwiches and whatnot. And we're just kind of talking as, as, as things go along. I don't know how it came up, but I mentioned I was a Christian. I mean, just literally, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. This guy next to me had a knife about that long. And it was we're on a steel metal table. And he slams that knife down as, as hard as he can. It makes a, it's a loud noise. He goes, I can't believe it. I had no clue what he's talking about. I go, what, what are you talking about? And he goes, he looks right at me, another Christian. And he goes out the back door. I'm like, what in the, another? Okay, that tells me something. There's another Christian somewhere. <laughs> I don't know where he is, but this guy's really messed up. So I, so I go out afterwards and, and talk to him and find out what was going on. It was the guy that was the last manager, and I won't go through all the stories, but the guy was not exactly a model citizen. And I didn't know what else to say, but I said, let me tell you something, bud. I said, I'm not him. I said, I was told when I came here that this restaurant, there was a lot of trouble. There's two approaches. I can come here and just fire everybody and just and hire new people and go from there. I said, would you like that? He said, well, no. I said, or I can come in. I can take my time, get to know you, give everybody a fresh start. We'll go from there. He goes, well, yeah, that's, that, that's, what, I said, that's what I'm doing. So I'm going to ask you the same thing. I don't know this guy. I don't know what he did. You know, I know a little bit because he told me. I said, but I said, don't judge me by this clown. I said, why don't you give me the first start that I'm giving you? And let's kind of go from there. He said, okay. Thank goodness, because he was a really good cook, and I didn't want to lose him. But anyway, so, but the thing is, is that... And we shared, I wish I could tell you that through the years, he ended up becoming a Christian. He never did. And we talk a lot about the Lord and religion and all that. He never, a few others did, but he didn't. 
It just didn't happen. But that's not the point. The point is that we represent Christ well. And so when you go to work, you have, there's meaning in what you do. There's meaning in the people that you meet. And it's much more about the way that you are doing your job and the way that you are living than it is about the job itself. And it's great if it's a job that you really enjoy doing. We all can't have a job that we enjoy doing. Eventually we may get to that job, but we can enjoy what we're doing even if we don't, even if we don't like what we're doing because of why we're doing it. We're doing it to please the Lord. So again, back to those questions. You ask the individual, uh, your, your, your friend, your fellow believer, what about their work, what they do, what are some of the issues they face, and then you can ask them this, does your faith make a difference to how you deal with those issues? Because they may not have thought about that before, and they need to. Does your faith make a difference? We're not, they're not looking to scold anybody. Remember, we want to do this with each other, help each other. We want to live as Christians. And again, remember, don't, keep in mind that well, I'm not, because don't, don't take this the wrong way, because simply say, well, you Bob's talking about you know, being a Christian at work, and man, if I start sharing the gospel, I'm going to get fired. I am not telling you to stop doing your job and start sharing the gospel. I'm not telling you to do that. There are appropriate times and inappropriate times for us to stop and be able to do that. It may be over lunch, it may be outside of work, but you can still live as a Christian every day that you're there. And when individuals at times may ask you, why I noticed you were so patient with someone, or they may just say, thank you for, for not climbing down my throat, then you can just kind of pop in those little phrases, well, I just believe in giving everyone a fair shake, I said, and being merciful, because that's the way God has treated me. And then just go on. You don't have to you know, give them a long dissertation. So we're not talking about you being irresponsible at work and not fulfilling your responsibilities. You should be fulfilling responsibilities, and you should be doing that very well. You should be the one who's always on time because you're a Christian. You should be the one who always is the conscientious worker because you're a Christian. That also means, I think, at times you're the one that wants to make sure that others are treated rightly because you're a Christian. You may have to... You may have to to, to take a, a risk because someone else is being treated wrongly by someone who is the boss or, or maybe they're responding wrongly themselves and you're going to have to say, look, let me just give you some advice. They may not take it, but you can be involved in their lives and give them good, solid advice that you learn from the book of Proverbs. But you are the Christian and God has placed you where you are. You may be the only believer, you may be uh, one of many, but you need to live out the life that God has called you to live as a Christian. People should not be shocked at your job if all of a sudden they run into me by accident at Starbucks and they tell me where they work and I go, hey, do you know so-and-so? And they go, yeah, how do you know? I'm always a deacon of the church. He is? You don't want that to happen. That's just a bad thing. Or, or for the person to say, <laughs> this happened once, this was several years ago. Uh, I was talking to somebody and I found out where they worked and asked if they knew someone and, and I go, oh yeah, I said they... They, they come to my church. And they said, he goes to church? <laughs> and they were, I mean, they were stunned. They couldn't even get over it. But anyway, uh, so I had a, a discussion with that guy later. Um, it's pretty profitable. Anyway, then we can ask the individual this question, which is, how would you like me to pray for you and your ministry in the workplace? Think of your workplace as being, see, the word ministry just means to serve. So it doesn't mean that you're conducting a Bible study on the premises. You're there to, to be you're, you're there to be their friend. They may not be your friend, but you're there to be their friend. You're there to help them. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to care for others. 
He wants us to, to try to have an understanding of others. There are many, many, many people in the world who do not have what we have. If you just think about it for a while, even outside of our families, if you have a good, solid family, that's, that's a great blessing. And if you have a good, solid family that, that's primarily made up of believers, that's even a, a, a greater blessing. We do, we've talked about this before. There are times that for some people, and maybe for many, they don't have that. They're Christians, and all they have is us. But they still have us. They have, there's people who, will, who we will listen to them. We will help them. We will be their safety net for all kinds of things. And that's how we're supposed to function as a church. Non-believers don't really have that. They sometimes try, but they don't really have that, not on an intimate level. They don't. They don't have that. You're there. You are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. You are the listening ear of Christ. You may be the only, in fact, they may be so unlovely that you'll be the only person in the world that even loves them. And we, well, we don't mean that oh, emotional, ushy, squishy kind of stuff, but that you are committed to them for their best good. We, we need to be those kinds of individuals. In some cases, you'll be able to, you, you will be able to be that person for them very rapidly. In other cases, it'll take years. And we, just, we need to be faithful at, do, at doing those things. So when, it gets, when we get to know each other, this is how we pray for each other, encourage each other. We need to know the details about where you work and what you're facing as a Christian. Maybe you're working in an atmosphere where there's a great deal of temptation to sin. Because of just how things are set up. It may be that because you are the only believer there, as we all should understand that we are, as human beings, we are very easily influenced by others, especially by group. And so we need to be strong. And, and not only do we gain our strength from coming back here together as believers, but as we pray for each other, have an individual call us up, maybe just to remind us, even though that's not what they're calling for, they're calling to say, hey, look, brother, you know, I'm praying for you, and I know that, that you know, I've, I've been where you are, and it's a very difficult situation where you're the only believer, and I just want you to know that, that you know, I'm remembering to pray for you. And, and what, they're ending, what they end up telling you, what you hear, and what God uses is, Remember, you're a Christian. You need to act like a Christian. You need to behave like a Christian. You need to have the attitude of a Christian. So don't feel sorry for yourself. And by the way, someone's praying for you because they care about you. And we need that. We need that encouragement. And so that's what, this, this is how we make a difference in each other's lives. And so we need, we need to know. That's why we need to listen very carefully. You know, there's a lot of things I can tell you about Sean and where he works. He might even be surprised as to what I know. I'm not camping out and spying, brother. Uh, but just from listening to conversations, listening to what people say and remembering what they say. You, and, and then also being familiar with the workplace, different kinds of workplaces, paying attention. Of course, I know more because I'm old, so I've known a lot of people. But anyway, all right? Or, or others, you know, I know a whole lot what Matt goes through because I did that for a long time, you know, working at the jail. It's just so great and exciting to work there. And it can be maddening as well. But the key is, is that we, we need to do that because if we don't have the right kind of attitude and thought into our job and our work, which again takes up a large part of our life, it's going, because we're human beings, it's going to eat away at you. And you may even today be the individual who is feeling what we would call depressed or anxious 
And that's the reason why. The job's wearing you out. And it may be because you're just coming at it from the whole wrong perspective. Because the Lord tells us in the scripture that he renews our strength. When we think, I just can't keep doing this job. Yes, you can. It's not a sin for you to be looking for another job. I'm not saying that. In some cases it might be, but it, it's not just about escaping there. If your attitude is different, and I'm not into the whole positive thinking thing, even though I believe in positive thinking. You know, I don't believe in that as a philosophy. But I am thinking positively when I remind myself that I am a Christian, and God has placed me here to meet these people. In fact, sometimes what's an interesting conversation with your coworkers is to ask, just ask them, do you know any other Christians? Just look for a yes or no. A lot of times they say, well, yeah, I know people who go to church. No, 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 no. No, I want to do you know any other Christians. Not just people who go to church. Anybody can go to church. Now, you see, just by doing that, you've just taught them something. You just taught them by saying, anybody can go to church. Now, just because you go to church doesn't mean you're a Christian. That's important. So you say, I, I was just curious if you knew any, 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 what I would call a real Christian. They may know what you mean. They may not know what you mean. Now, if they say yes, say, well, now, I don't want you to give me any names. But based on them, what do you think about Christianity? That'll give you a world of information. Don't be stunned, though, at times when someone says, well, I mean, I know people who go to church, and, and maybe, maybe they say, I'm not really sure what a Christian really is, so you kind of describe what a Christian is. Not just about the gospel, but, but how that Christian lives. And sometimes they may say, well, I don't know. I mean, when you put it that way, I, I'm, I'm not sure if I know, I mean, I know some nice people, but I don't know if I know any, any Christians. Then that tells you what? Now I know another reason why I'm here. Because that person needed to meet me. I don't, you don't, I'm not saying that in an arrogant way, and don't say that. If I was working with Sean, and Sean said he didn't know any people, I wouldn't say to Sean, well, I'm glad you met me then. About time to meet a real Christian. That, that probably wouldn't go over real well. All right, but I know in my own mind, I might think, man, this guy may have been raised with all kinds of people who call themselves Christians and they weren't. Who knows what the background was? But as we kind of get to this conversation, I'm thinking, now that puts the pressure on me. Man, I've got to make sure I fly straight. I've got to make sure that, I, that I'm doing right so that if he has a, another cause against Christians, it's not because of me. I'm now going to try to reverse whatever view he has of Christ and Christians. And man, I need God's help in that. So there's all kinds of ways as Christians to approach our job, but the way we think is very important. And all of that is biblical. So it's not like there's just this one verse I'm going to read. What does the scripture say? And from the very beginning, God created Adam and Eve, and he gave them work, and he said it was good. And then the Lord said after Adam and Eve sinned that now when it comes to work, it would be by toil and sweat. And so we participate in the curse of sin. So even if you talk to an individual and let's say you're working outside, I always feel bad for guys who have to work outside, especially roofers in the summer in, in Georgia. And when guy, if you're talking to somebody about that, you say, yeah, you know, it's, I understand how bad it is. You, you, and, and I know the reason why. And they're thinking you're talking about the weather. You say, oh, no, no, it's not, that's, the weather's got nothing to do with it. I mean, it has something to do with it, but it's because of this. And you can launch into the story of how it got so hot and humid in Georgia. It's because of the sin of, so you can blame Adam. 
stinking Adam. It's his fault. So that is, so that is the approach. So I was going to give you ten things. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, we haven't even gotten to number one. So guess what? Uh, next week, uh, we're going to go through some of this very rapidly, but there's two things I want to get to, just kind of spend some time on, that I think will help us. Again, an, an hour being able to understand as believers, what it is that God uh, has provided and what he wants us to do at work, and then also that gives to us an understand and a foundation that maybe perhaps to help someone else as we ask questions who may, that one of the causes of their being down may be because of their job. Remember I said there's several major causes, that's just one of them. It may not be the only one, it may be one of several, or it may not even be one, and we'll get to those others later. But we want to think biblically about all these things, and it does. When it comes to work, we can think biblically about it. And so I trust that you will then begin to think in those terms uh, of what we discussed this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your grace and your kindness and your love. And Father, we do thank you so much for the life you've given us. Father, our lives probably contain much more excitement than we ever imagined. We just really haven't really unlocked it yet because we've approached it the wrong way. And so, Father, I ask that you help each one of us here as believers to approach our job, to approach our work, understanding that it is a, a God-given task and that where we work is by no accident and who we work with and who we work for is by no accident. And we pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your wisdom and grace. Fill us, Father, with your joy. That, Father, we may share the joy that we have with others. I do want to pray, Father, for those here today who work primarily with non-believers. They may still have a good job, Lord, but I know that when you work with non-believers, there's, a, there's an enormous amount of negativity and cynicism and, and sin that just kind of permeates where we work and their lives. We, help, we ask, Father, you would help us to be strong. Help us, Father, never to come across arrogant or ever being better than anybody. Help us, Father, to be loving and, and kind, to be concerned for their soul and their well-being. Perhaps, Father, in their time of need, we might be used by you to help meet that need, and we can share with them how our needs are met that way by our church, and perhaps that would cause them to be extremely jealous of what we have and move them to ask more questions or to have greater interest. But whatever the case may be, Father, we ask that you would help us to live for you. Father, I do want to pray that there are those here who may be individuals who, no matter how hard they try, are never going to have much happiness or meaning in their work. And that's because, Father, in their own soul, they are still empty. They've danced around Christianity or they, they've heard the gospel. They've never embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've never placed their faith in Christ and, and repented of their sin and pleaded for forgiveness. And so, Father, they're still at enmity with you. They're not right with you. And I pray that, Lord, you would help them to recognize, to realize, to have a sense that they are separated from you. And, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself and that they would indeed repent and come to Christ. Father, we will rejoice with the angels in heaven over each one who comes to know you. So, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. We pray that you would cause us to think often about these things. We thank you. We do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.